Chapter Three of An Intimate View of Robert G. Ingersoll by Isaac Newton Baker. Recorded by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three In His Office. He was in his office always the genial, patient, dear old Colonel. His clerical force and the students under him were trusted and treated as friends. He put on no airs, assumed no authority, affected no superiority. No arbitrary rules or restrictions hampered his employees. He never scolded, rebuked, or ordered, simply kindly requested. He was silent if displeased, but never said a harsh or a mean or a cutting word. The air around him was free all the discipline was self-imposed all the duties self-appointed and performed with one animating purpose to please the colonel office work in his employ was a pleasure not a task a glad service faithfully rendered and just as faithfully and fully recognized there never was a kinder juster or more generous employer he used to say quote, do you want to know one real test of a man how does he treat his employer how does his employer treat him? End quote. Interruptions when he was busy in his office did not seem to disturb or distract him. In the midst of dictation of correspondence or argument, he would welcome a caller and, after a chat or interview, resume his dictation at the point of leaving it. Sometimes an hour, a day, or even days would intervene. He did not lose the thread, but went on weaving as though the loom had not for an instant stopped. He shut out no visitor, although his clerks of their own motion excluded many a freak or crank, notwithstanding his repeated request to deny no decent person audience. The colonel was fond of bright newspaper men. He liked to answer questions. Interviewers flocked to him. They were always welcomed and never disappointed if they asked sensible and proper questions. Fire away, was his cheery invitation, and to their queries a flood of wit, wisdom, humor, philosophy, logic, and sense would pour out as if from a strong fountain. The files of many metropolitan journals were enriched by these spontaneous effusions. His Daily Mail His Daily Mail was heavy. All sorts of people wrote to him on all conceivable subjects. This correspondence was sifted, only a tithe reached his eye, those letters absolutely requiring his attention requests to lecture and appeals for pecuniary help were of course multitudinous many were granted though of necessity more were denied aside from his large business and professional correspondence letters on religious questions poured in upon him advice argument and appeal more or less sincere and sad to say abuse slander and defamation of the most scurrilous kind were not uncommon while now and then anonymous threats of his life were received whenever possible and wherever sincerity and intelligence were manifest and abuse and malice absent these letters received reply they were copied and letter books containing these replies would make a rich mine of material for extended biography sense of locality he had little order in the care of papers his desk was for the most part in confusion and yet he had a method of his own with all the apparent disorder when his desk reached the limit of congestion letters and papers were carefully collected classified and filed for him and the coast thus cleared 
i put that paper just where i wanted it why did you remove it was his usual comment on this desk clearing process his sense of locality was so keen that many times i have seen him produce a needed document from a large bundle or a letter from beneath a scattered pile without a moment's hesitation he could have found that celebrated needle if he had had anything to do with putting it in the hay his volume of shakespeare usually served as a paperweight on his office desk it was always in sight and often taken up even in busy hours he needed for it no index or concordance page column and line were instantly turned to he has said to me quote, i know where to find that passage in hamlet it is on page four thirty two on the right hand side left hand column and at the bottom of the column equally remarkable was his far-reaching accuracy of vision his eagle eye could take in more at a single glance than most men's after close inspection very little going on around him escaped his notice once in a trial out west he was to open the case counsel for the other side sat to the front and left of him several feet removed going over his notes prior to oral presentation the colonel's quick eye caught the paper and as he assured me without intention or purpose before he could help it he had taken in several points of his adversary's argument he was bothered he said in making his opening by the necessity of avoiding the suspicion that he had in any way gained possession of his opponent's brief he made no unfair use of this accident in fact he said the knowledge hampered more than helped him a stainless record nothing was nothing could be further from mr ingersoll than deceit indirection or double dealing he was the very soul of truth of honor and of candor he was indeed a modern bayard a knight without fear and without reproach his escutcheon was unstained and never in any court was his veracity impeached or his professional honor successfully assailed he was high-souled high-minded high-acting and incapable of a groveling thought or a mean or low initiative his professional antagonists everywhere encountered admitted that he always fought in the open and were often surprised at the large admissions and generous concessions he made his clients sometimes quaked as they feared he was giving away their case he was not the outcome proved that his method was the highest art the wisest wisdom an oracle his intuitions were like a woman's often infallible in many an instance they were as unerring as his judgment was sound amounting almost to prophecy fulfilled on that fatal morning in july when the assassin's bullet laid low the lamented garfield mr ingersoll was one of the first at the stricken president's side he said to me quote, i know he will not live i feel it he may rally and linger a few days but he cannot recover End quote. despite all that human skill could do all means that science could employ or all that christendom on its knees could implore the end came it was this gift or endowment added to his clear judgment and knowledge of human nature that made him the seer and prophet he really was this rare combination in him was recognized by many who sought his advice and counsel statesmen politicians men of affairs in public and private life resorted to him as an oracle and his guesses as he called them frequently came true 
he never claimed to have soothsaying or clairvoyant powers for he was absolutely without a superstition but he was none the less one whose predictions were often justified by the events princely generosity he extended to young lawyers and students of the law a most encouraging hand he liked young men he helped them by counsel by opening doors of opportunity and with pecuniary aid many a new-fledged attorney and many an aged stranded one on his uppers as he would say went from his presence with a gladder heart and fuller pocket a hundred-dollar bill was a frequent gift from his open hand to say not a word of the thousands scattered in large and smaller sums he gave his advice freely to hundreds especially to the widow the poor and defenseless and tried many a case to a happy conclusion not only without a fee but himself paying all costs and disbursements as a matter of fact he was seldom richly remunerated in the celebrated cases undertaken by him the star route trials cost him more than he received in actual compensation he cared too little for money to insist even on his rights his office books were filled with accounts never collected with charges never paid and yet this did not check the flow of his extravagant generosity he loved to give he was princely in giving in one case where a thirty thousand dollar fee came to him he instantly gave half of it to a young assistant to whom two or three thousand dollars would have been an ample and satisfactory return for the service rendered in another case on receiving a fee of fifteen thousand dollars he immediately wrote a check for one-third of the amount to the friend who had simply urged his selection as the best lawyer for the case the unexpected gift enabled this friend to lift a mortgage that had long encumbered her home End of chapter 3